Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. YouTube.com slash Litopia. I can't tell you how nice it is to be back, actually. It's been two weeks. I am so sorry about what happened last week. There's nothing we could do about it at all. It was a denial of service attack by some nine-year-old, mentally nine-year-old script kiddie, and literally there was nothing we can do. We're trying to do something about it this week, um, but who knows? I mean, you know, we're always really in the hands of the internet gods. So let's see who's on this week. Oh my word, from Indiana, USA to London, UK. She writes for teens and tweens. And as an editor, she's commissioned over 100 books. But apart from all that, she's a perennial star of pop-up submissions. It's Sarah Grant. He's won many international awards for the books he's written, but that was only just the beginning, because he went on to co-found a whole new publishing house, Flipped Eye Publishing. Now, it celebrates two decades in the business. Tonight, we've got the boss man himself on the show. Welcome to Knee Parks. Hello, Sarah. How are Hello. you? Good to see you again. Hi. How's your lockdown? Yeah, it's all right. It's all right, you know. Not, I can't complain. But you can. We're, I, I, well, I can, but I won't. No, I, I won't do any you know, good. You, 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 My husband and I work in the same office we have for a while, so in some ways things are, are very similar for us. It's yes. just the not going anywhere or doing anything other than that. That's, uh, yeah, I know. I, I know what you mean. But apparently it's all going to be over soon, so, you know, counting the days. Uh, you got any decent reading for us this week? I do. I do. Um, I picked a writer's book called, and it's an old one, it's called The Plot Thickens. I remember this, yeah, yes. There you go, you have it. And um, I picked it because uh, I teach at Goldsmiths, and I was talking about this with my students, and, and I have them read a section of every year because he talks about, with character development, there is a profound and a surface journey for your character. Uh-huh. And it was one of those times when I read it, it just unlocks something in my writer's brain, and this is like from 2008, maybe, is what yeah. I And the idea that each character needs... The surface journey so they're solving the mystery there's the romance there's the horror story there's the survival story and then what's their profound journey what are they trying to learn and how does that connect to the surface journey um and he talks about that in great detail and when i read that i went oh yeah that, that just unlocked something for me with character and i always now think of profound and surface journeys thanks to mr lucan that's very, very good. Thank you. You're going to improve our writing all round there, I think. Very educational, Sarah. Gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah. Let's get to know our new guest, Nee, here. Hello, Nee. First time on. Hi. Hopefully yes, not indeed. the last. You, n- you never know, actually. How, well, uh, let's same, see how same, I well, let's, let's see how we behave. <laughs> how, same, same thing to you, actually. How's it been, this whole lockdown stuff for you? Um, I like being indoors, um, especially when I'm in England, because there's no sun, so there's no reason to go outside anyway. True. Um, <laughs> so, no, it's been a good chance to catch up on submissions, um, you know, finding a few authors off the slush pile. Yeah. That we hope will come out in a couple of years. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's been good. It's been good. It's been good for work and collaboration, even though it's unnatural. I'm, I'm a very sociable person normally. Yeah. So being indoors is difficult on that level as far yes, as the weather yeah. goes i'm happy to be indoors but yeah it's nice it's quite different actually it is quite different is it have you have you had any secret indulgences or vices been putting on the pounds or something um no i mean it's very hard to pick up pounds drinking rum but yeah 
That's a useful tip. Thank you, Nee. See, I knew you were going to be a value for money. What a great tip. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, maybe you've got another tip. You've got any uh, decent reading for us? Yes, I mean, a book that I, I've known since I was 13 years old, um, So Long a Letter by Mariam Abba. Um, oh, yeah. Set in uh, Senegal, it was the first time I read a book by a Muslim woman. Um, first time I really read a book from a woman's perspective that was from the same part of Africa that I come from. And yes. it was pivotal in changing, well, making me think about things I'd never thought about before. I'd never mm. really thought about, you know, the thoughts that a Muslim woman might process when she's going to get married. Yeah. I never really thought that you might think that you might marry somebody that you don't actually love because it might be better for you. Um, in this book, she marries somebody that she does love and it doesn't turn out really great. Mm. Um, so there, there were a whole load, load of things that happened, but it, I think for me, this book's important because it, it was an awakening as a reader that there were other ways in which stories could be told. A lot of the reading that I'd done before was pulp fiction that I'd picked up in yeah. my cousin's romance novels and stuff like that. And it's a pistol book, isn't it? It's told in letters, I think? Yes, it's, yeah, it's a it's, single letter. It's one, and it's it, only uh, 95 pages, so you could probably read yes, it. Yes, it's one, a one very sitting. small book, which was yeah. useful when I was 13 as well. Yeah. And, um, and I think, you know, even the name of the publishing company, um, Flip Tie Publishing, it probably goes back to this book because it changed oh, my way of looking at things. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you. There you go. <laughs> there Fantastic. You go. <laughs> Terrific recommendation. Thank you very much, Lee. Two great books from two great guests. Oh, yes. Um, now I've got to update you. Make a priority submission at priority.latopia.com. Yes, you should do that. Otherwise, it's going to take you quite a long time to get on the show. So um, please hit that priority button. And it helps us too. Um, now, this is what we saw not last week, because we didn't turn in last week, but two weeks ago, if you remember. Okay. Um, it was a tightly bunched live vote with both Charlie's subs, uh, submission and Matthew Doc's submission tying for joint first place. But when he came to the reader's vote, this is how the cookies crumbled. Charlie got 50%. Pretty good going. Kane got a third of all votes. Matthew Doc. Ah, big discrepancy there with the, uh, the studio oh. vote. Down to 17, yeah. Riley got... <gasps> oh, I'm sorry. I hate, I hate, I hate bringing bad news. <laughs> Chris got zero as well. Oh, well, Ooh. that's how the cookie crumbles. Yeah, readers can be very tough sometimes, and that means, of course... Yeah. They're very enthusiastic, dear audience, I think. Um, yeah, congratulations, astrobiologist Charlie. I think you're, uh, you're headed for great things there. Let's see what we're going to be doing this week, shall we? Oh, first of all, we've got a comment. You can review us, you know. We review you. You can review us. This is from Tom, who was on just a few weeks ago. Thanks again for having my book on. Naturally, I cringed a bit. Everybody does. But all the feedback was very valuable, says Tom, and recognisable. Thank you for saying that. I'm currently working with an agent. Fantastic. So that's a step forwards. To whittle down a lot of the overwriting, amongst other things, so upwards and onwards. Couldn't agree more. Good. Nice, Tom. Let's see if we can do the same for at least one submission this week. This is from Oliver. QR code there, too. You can scan that. Go to Oliver's website. At least I think it's his website. Let me know if it's not. 
um, is science fiction. It's called The Rise of Razzmatazz. And this is Oliver's blurb. When Captain Razzmatazz suspects her latest deployment as a rogue mission to wipe out a star system and recover a new technology for her commander's personal gain, she realises she can either follow orders or risk everything to save a civilization. She enlists the help of new recruits Norman and long-term pen pal Hector. Faced with a mission of overwhelming odds to save the Metazoa from destruction, the trio find themselves embroiled in a conspiracy that runs deeper than they care to imagine. Okay, I wonder what that would be. Let me tell you about Oliver. Um, Oliver says, my biggest influences are Terry Pratchett, Rob Grant, Doug Naylor and Douglas Adams. We want to discover the new Douglas Adams, that's for sure. Whilst this story is written in my own style, the mastery of sardonic, the mastery of sardonic social commentary that these authors command in the science fiction and fantasy genres has inspired elements of my writing style. I understand that. Uh, three years ago, I gave up a career in journalism to focus on stories with a more personal touch. Through storytelling, I hope to challenge cultural and societal stigmas and expose the absurdities of everyday life. And haven't we got a lot of those at the moment? Good. All right. Sounds very promising. I think we need to deliver a top-class reading to you. So is Kay. The first page. Interdimensional, The Rise of Razamataz by Oliver Baker, read by Kay. Norman woke up with a start to the sound of the first rotation of traffic in full swing. Delta Foxtrot 7 was a planet that never slept, figuratively speaking. It was a relatively unique planet in the fact that it had two suns which were by some form of miracle, although at this point in the future it is referred to as a startling coincidence equidistant from the planet itself and precisely the same size and makeup down to the smallest atom and most infinite decimal point. It was as if they were the same star looking at one another in a mirror, a theory which some people considered to be not only plausible but also very probable. DF7 orbited the twin suns in a figure of eight, catapulting around the first until it reached the optimum point in the orbit where it suddenly found itself ensnared in the orbit of the second and was whisked away to repeat the last 2,345 days in reverse. This unusual flight created a natural stasis field of sorts in which one could grow 2,345 days older and wiser, then the following year ungrow it all. It was a well-known fact that time travel in the conventional sense was problematic. You couldn't make a perfectly formed collection of atoms disappear in one time space and magically, or scientifically for that matter, reappear in another. Certainly not if you wanted those atoms to be reassembled in the same order. However, on DF7 you could theoretically live forever, as long as you didn't put yourself in precarious situations. This in itself was tricky for Norman, as precarious situations seemed to lurk around every corner, along every street, down every manhole cover, and up every flight of stairs. If you were particularly good at navigating, circumventing, or obfuscating situations of a nefarious or unfortunate ilk, then you could live a very long and somewhat happy life in the bustling streets of one of DF7's sprawling cities. For most creatures, the ones who were sensible enough to steer clear of areas in which dodgy-looking individuals with their hoods up stood on street corners, 
life on DF7 was usually of slightly longer than average length, filled with structure and conformity, and was almost guaranteed to end in a distinctly tidy way. For creatures like Norman, who could not only find the needle in the haystack, but also cut his arm off with it, and generally found himself drawn to the kind of areas most hard-working and law-abiding citizens avoided, DF7 provided a nice little knife edge to tiptoe precariously along. That said, it was the perfect, if not only, way to pass and unpass the time until there was something better to do. Interstellar travel brought with it innumerable possibilities. New planets, new resources, new life forms. It had opened up a whole new world, or set thereof, for the once inhabitants of the home planet, Earth. Intergalactic travel brought with it endless possibilities and interdimensional travel bore limitless possibilities which still made Norman's head spin a little when he thought about it too much. The only problem so far as he, and many others besides, could make out is it all took a lot of time, a heck of a lot of time. The more possibility there was, the less chance there was that you'd ever live to be able to experience it, or even meet anyone who'd experienced it and could regale you with tall tales and anecdotes to the point you wished they had stayed in whichever exotic paradise they loved so much, because it was all they ever talked about. This was the main reason Norman spent a lot of his time on DF7. When you wanted to maintain friendships across galaxies, universes and perhaps one day dimensions, you had to plan accordingly. If a friend was travelling from Messier 101 back to the Milky Way, it was a 20 million light year journey. That wasn't the sort of journey one took on casually on a Sunday afternoon. I know, as always, some great observations straight off the top of the heads in the genius room. Um, should we drop knee straight in the deep end? I think we should. Um, are you going to turn the page on this knee or disengage? Um, probably disengage. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, I, I, I'll get distracted, I should say, because the moment, you know, you start re reading about... First, the opening line, I can't even remember it. The reading yeah. voice was brilliant, I have to say. It's the only reason why I could follow the story. Okay. They, <laughs> yes, we have some great narrators, absolutely, yeah. Um, but, you know, the, then you have the whole notion of travelling around two suns and going in one direction, aging in one direction and unaging in the other direction. And then my brain just goes off on a tangent. Yeah. I think anybody who's born on that planet it can't be more than six and a half years old, you know, and stuff like that. Um so that's what happens to me yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and you know what it might be that this can work but it's probably a problem of structure and pacing of getting into the world yeah. because sometimes when you're trying to create a new world you really need to take your time to get into it and i think that's what it is if you don't do that then you lose your reader because they don't get it yeah so terry from youtube just came on with a comment there saying um I've just, can you put it back on <laughs> i think we can we have the technology for that yeah there we go started well with an interesting douglas adams voice but gone on too long with a little happening um i mean yeah. douglas adams is some decades ago now do you think douglas adams would even work in today's publishing environment well i mean he has a film that's all you need in the, today's publishing environment right okay yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that um, there were definite shades of Douglas Adams, uh, Adams and Pratchett. <gasps> yes, absolutely, Pratchett. We, um, the industry definitely needs another Pratchett. 
but I didn't get the scathingly sharp satire that you do get from from Pratchett and I'm not sure I got a strong voice coming through the shades of other people's voices not necessarily shades of your own voice yeah also he said he was challenging stereotypes and then yes. he had some hooded people who were dangerous there you go <laughs> okay yeah that's right that's absolutely right what did you think first reactions please Sarah um, I thought it was sparky I thought there were some really interesting moments um, and the thing about pass and unpassing the time there were some nice little fun phrases and moments um, I think Terry said what I was going to say which it, it, I think there were some sparks there but it yeah. just went on too long and I got a little bit lost and I didn't Norman I think is the main character or, or who yeah. was starting the story but I didn't know much about him because he said he was a creature so is he a creature was he Anyway, anyway, I do think, though, there were some funny moments or some um, really interesting kind of the, the mirrored moons I thought was really clever. Um, so I think there's there is some fun to be had in in the world he's created. I think he got carried away with the world and I need I needed Norman. I needed to know what Norman was doing and what yeah. was going to happen, because I because even after this, I'm like, what journey am I on? It, it's funny and it's there's some levity, but I, I didn't I'm not sure where I'm going. No, after no. those 700 words no oh, we, well we're going on a sort of sub douglas adams journey as far as i can see and i just like i'd like more voice i'd like more ori original voice there coming back to you knee um you've got to give some numbers on this one means okay. not good five means i want to marry and have his babies <laughs> um i would give two because he writes a good sentence um there's talent there but yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I think he misapplied it. Yep, totally agree with that. What do you think, Sarah? I'm going to give it a three because I think okay. there were some sparks there. I see, I see some real promise there. Just we need yeah. character and we need to get some things going. Yes, all right, fair enough. Um, I'm going to go exactly in between the two of you, but I can't. Uh, I would go two and a half, so I'm feeling generous today. It's going to be a great show. It's nice to be back with you. So there you go, three. Um, reasonable oh, start. Now I'm the mean guy. No. <laughs> you get Good a chance. Cop, bad cop. Sorry. You get, yeah, yeah, you can, we can do that, that Simon Cowell thing if you want. But you get a chance at the end to change your vote if you want to in the light of what you've seen. Let's have a look at the uh, next submission of the day, shall we? Yeah. It is, I just cut up on the menu here. Here we go. Oh, I like this title. Cole. Interesting title. Historical fiction slash women's fiction. It's from Paul. Paul Garvey. The series explores the realms of mental health issues, alcoholism, and an ancient minority group entering what's deemed normal society. All right. Oh, sorry. Uh, there we go. Out of practice now, you know. Haven't done this for two weeks. Let me tell you about uh, Paul. Um, Cole is my first novel. I'm both full of trepidation and hopeful, as we are too. Uh, the novel will appeal to readers of historical fiction, but also women's fiction as it crosses genres. I've researched the novel meticulously, and some of the locations and events, including the opening chapters in the working men's clubs, were places I visited. I have a sequel planned, hopefully finished by later this year. I'd like your help with a decision about how to progress. 
Ooh, right, okay. Weighty matters indeed. Uh, I feel the burden of history on our shoulders here, Paul. I tell you what, should we ask Chris to read it? The first page. Paul, by Paul Garvey. Read by Chris Yugai. Secrets, Lies and Tangled Lives. 1. Sunday lunchtime, 9th June, 1957. The doors of the club were wide open and a close heat seeped in from the still summer's day. A sizable group of miners were sweating out their Sunday beers, short sleeves rolled. No women were present in the smoke-filled bar of the miners' welfare, and politics were on the men's lunchtime agenda. Terry was sitting at the side of the large room, on the bench sitting, and was speaking under a thick grey-blue haze, which thickened slowly. The crowd was four deep, and some had pulled their tables with them, forming an arc in front of the speaker. The cigarette haze hung above their heads quietly, undisturbed by any breeze from outside. Terry had known many of the crowns since childhood, and most supported his ideas about workers' rights and even worker control of the mines, but his father, Frank, seated at the end of a rectangular table to his left, was arguing differently, and he wasn't completely on his own. A few of the older miners supported Frank's capitalist stance, but most of the other miners were outraged at the small group's free market views. To say Frank wasn't happy about his son leading their views was a deep understatement. His dad was seething. Terry wasn't fully loved by either side in the debate, as he'd never worked in any colliery, never mind at Swillingdale, but his socialist dogma found far more favor with the great majority of mine workers than did the opinions of Frank's small Tory faction at the colliery. He'd also grown up with most of the miners and was a hero to many, for whom the war's memory was beginning to fade, but was far from distant. That gathered solid support. It was a long way from a friendly discussion. Frank had already had to be restrained by Nev Hausman, Joe Wilkinson and two others from launching himself at Malcolm Gill, Darin's sister's twin brother, who had called him and his mates traitors to their fellow workers for supporting Macmillan. It was the beer that was losing in Malcolm's town, but Frank's temper was short. Gilly and Frank had worked underground together, sometimes in the same team, since Malcolm first took the cage to the pit bottom ten years ago. He and his wife Margaret had also visited Frank's with Jim and Darien many times. Frank had often looked out for Gilly in his early days and had hit the safety button and stopped a trepanner just in time when Gilly's bootlace had caught in the chain. Gilly often talked about that with gratitude and looked up to Frank, but Frank could react to anyone, friend or foe, when the wrong side out. The local Yorkshire Coalfield dialect almost echoed in the otherwise strangely silent room. All were listening. Even the steward ever polishing glasses behind the bar. These does and the typical dropped H's and flat vowels of the area betrayed the miners' upbringing and lack of education in their speech. He's a tough Frank, Gilly said. He's got nothing to do with the likes of us. To which Frank had retorted his anger rising. What do you know? The men's of First World War era. Churchill Soy, and he knows the sight more than you, Gilly. Gilly had then said something in return that sounded to Frank like fucking traitor. Frank did not quite catch exactly what was said, and later Gilly denied saying it. But it was enough for Frank to send a couple of glasses onto the floor, as his flaring collar started him towards his workmate and family member, but others managed to intervene and hold him. Frank seemed back to his pint and a couple of others got up to walk the short distance to the bar to replace their lost drinks. Frank made no move to reimburse them, and they weren't daft enough to ask 
this was not a man of whom you asked questions when riled. Thank you. Um, just looking at what the genius room is saying, I think there's a general feeling here. There's, there's a fair amount of info dumping going on, and whether that's the wisest thing to do with your first 700 words, I don't know. What did you think, Sarah? Yeah, I, I wrote that down. A lot of backstory and telling. Um, it started out with a, a, an interesting sense of atmosphere, so there was I was really hopeful. Um, but then it lot, you tell me lots of names of people um, and lots of uh, information about about the workforce and and I got lost in that I wasn't sure what was what they were talking about really and and also I think I just wasn't grounded in a character I really wasn't grounded with with the main character very well yeah yeah they did talk about trepanning that got my interest straight away but I but I think it's got a different meaning in in coal mining rather than drilling a hole I don't know it might it might mean the same thing I don't know um, Yorkshireman, I, I have to object that an accent does not betray lack of education. Oh, right. Fair enough, Terry. Thank you for making that point. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and also there was kind of like the narrator coming in sometimes and talking about how they dropped their H's and how they were speaking, which I didn't know where that was coming from. That kind of yeah. took me out of the story because yeah. you're telling me something that you could show me easily. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you're not going to be turning the page on this, are you? I don't think so. No. Okay, let's get a number no. from you straight away. Oh, um, I'm going to give it a two. I just got lost, and I thought there was too much backstory. But there was some, I mean, I can tell, I can tell he's done the research. I can tell he's, he knows a lot about this, that he yeah. can sort that out and balance a storytelling with his research. So if there's one thing really you could say to Paul, one thing you, you could ask him to do next, what would it be? No, don't tell. He's telling me a lot. He's telling me what Frank's doing and how people mm. are reacting to him. And, and just get in Frank's head and let us see the scene from Frank because you're keeping me at arm's length right now. You're keeping yeah. me at arm, arm's length from the... You're, you're giving me a kind of top-down look and I want to be in the middle of the action. Yeah, that's just what Kate on YouTube says. Interesting material. It's being presented at such a remote distance, no immersion. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that, Lee? Yeah. Um... <clears throat> But look, I mean, he could do really good research for somebody else to write at the moment. That's what it sounds to me like. Um, there, are, there are small things that for me make me start to switch off. When somebody says sizable group, yeah. um, I think right at the beginning of a novel, you're trying to show me that you're observant and you know you can, you're setting the scene. Sizable group is, is too iffy. And then you say sitting on the bench seating, it's like, why are you telling me somebody's sitting twice exactly um, yeah you know and, and then i think we come in with terry we think terry's the main character and then he keeps talking about frank mm. i don't really have a problem with having lots of people in the room as long as when you introduce them they do something which makes yeah. me locate them and remember them you know i i do think that there is a trend in storytelling to say okay just keep the characters very few but in life it doesn't always happen like that however the re the way you remember lots of people is if they do something and you remember it so again you know um like sarah says you know just show us something don't just keep telling us mm -hmm. um yeah I, I so i think if i was to say something i'd say first of all deciding on your narrator because deciding on the narrator also means that you have a very clear point of view and that decides what information we can see and what information we can't see 
if you're in one person's head, you can't see everything. And that's part of the tension that allows us to feel like we need to learn something more and we need to turn the page. If you want to be in someone's head and then you want to be everywhere, then we've got so much information. We think actually we're not interested. Yeah. 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 I, um, I feel a two coming on again. Am I right? You are absolutely right. (laughs) And that's generous. <laughs> Ooh, you squeeze in there with a two, Paul. You too late to feed us then. Oh, that was a presumptive close, that was. Yeah, all right. Fair, I mean, I can't disagree with that. And the chat room, as always, the chat room, I call them the genius room, really, full of instant reactions. They're your living laboratory here, you know, Paul. Just freeze frame yeah. it right now and, and see, see what people are saying. It's so important. Because when, when you're writing, it's subjectively, you know, you, you lose all sense of objectivity. You're writing there, doing your writing. You don't know what impression you're making, especially first impression, first time readers but you do hear you do hear um let's um i tell you what we've got so much to talk about tonight what i'd like to do actually is just have a little chat with you now and then we'll have another chat a little bit later on particularly about the publishing is that all right that's absolutely fine yeah let's do that let's do that Uh, you've done so much i mean (laughs) yeah uh, you've done a huge amount i'm just looking at your wikipedia page i mean i could just read that out and we wouldn't have time for any more submissions today but (laughs) <laughs> just pick, picking on one or two odd things some of which are yes. very odd uh you've got to admit yes. you've been you've i mean you're very big on poetry you've done some amazing things actually former poet in residence at the poetry cafe in london poet poet yes. in residence how cool is that so it's like two espressos and a, a quick sonnet please well, I mean, it wasn't quite like that, but I did. I mean, I don't do espressos, but they did. They were okay. generous with the beers. Ah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So residencies vary. Some residencies require you to respond and write stuff like, you know, the National Court Laureate who needs to write something about the royal family. Yeah. Um, not a job that I especially want. Oh, um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of material there, actually. <laughs> Yes, but the Poetry Cafe one was great because it allowed me to bring other people in. So what it was was, okay, you're poet in residence, what kinds of events would you like to see here? And so I was able to bring in other people to come and read, which is one of the things I love doing, sharing people's work. Um, So that was that residency, and part of that residency became the start of something that um, became the African Writers Evening because I realized there weren't a lot of African writers being featured at the Poetry Cafe, so I invited a few, and then it became its own thing. So that, that's brilliant and you've done you've done something else as well which i think is just the most extraordinary thing to have done actually poetry wise you're one of the youngest living writers featured in the poems on the underground thing well i'm, now, I'm no longer well you were at the time yeah. you were at the time you, you're looking very good for your 96 years may i say um thank you very much that is uh, just can you just because we're a very international audience here obviously on youtube not everyone will know what that was um and hopefully it'll happen again at some point can you tell everyone what it was yeah so um the underground and the buses um feature poems from writers of all dead and alive i should say rather than try to go into into too much detail (laughs) (laughs) inside of the carriages so that when people are traveling they can read i think new york has an equivalent now oh do Um, they i didn't know that okay yes um and so yeah my work got selected for it um in 2005 and again later on in 2012 or something Mm. like that yeah um 
and yeah, it's it's really great because you get yeah. all sorts of readers who would not have encountered your work, um, probably haven't even up and seen your work and finding you later on so yeah. really great experience well um, it's a wonderful thing because you know you, you're sitting there on the tube in Russia trying desperately trying to avoid eye contact you know especially with crazy people and you see you see these these little jewels up there and you and they just it transports you um, and it's the most miraculous thing and of course I believe that the the, the you know the companion books they brought out sold hundreds of thousands of copies as they deserve to what yes. a brilliant way brilliant way to promote yes. poetry i wish we, wish we had a lot more of that one more thing you've done and this is really just in 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 the poet context you, you wear so many other hats which we'll come on to in a moment um you've done a lot of performance um yes. new york royal festival hall uh java paris you were the, another resident poet and residence at borders bookstores which i have fond memories of actually here in london open mic yeah. evening so i just want to ask you about this performing thing because yes. most writers, the majority of writers, are not comfortable at all performing their own work, whether it's prose or poetry. They just, I mean, it's almost by definition they're writers, so they work alone, isolated, and their performance is, is putting the work out, it's publication. It's not actually engaging in direct contact with their readers. How, what advice would you give to, to the typical writer who really doesn't like to, to engage? I mean, my philosophy is that um, any writing you do is the beginning of a conversation. Okay. So, um, especially if, you, if you're thinking of getting published, right? So that means that as much as you write alone, <laughs> you want your work out there. And if you want your work out there, then you must be prepared to have a conversation. Of course, not everybody can do it. Some people have really debilitating shyness, etc. Yeah. But I yeah. think that if you can muster the energy and courage to engage with the audience it will only enrich your work well and, you and must but you must have had bad evenings you must have had bad reactions drunk drunk readers or people high on oh, yes something i mean so um, i mean how do you handle that you know heckling maybe i mean yeah you just you just deal with the crowd as it is right so um I mean, I, I don't think I've had terrible ones, but yes, I have had places where everyone's drinking and no one's listening. Yeah. But you know, I know that if I finish, I always say, it doesn't matter what you're doing in the audience, I'm still gonna get paid for my gig, right? <laughs> so, I I, as an agent, I approve I of that, yes. <laughs> Fantastic, great. All right, more, more from me in a moment, especially uh, Flip Tires, because well, we want to hear about that. But right now, let's look at our third submission of the day. This is from Christina. Realm of Darkness, colon, Truth Unveiled. It's YA fantasy. And this is Christina's blurb. Powerless to her strange ability or curse, as she would call it, Marina finds it easier to avoid her friends and withdraw from everything she enjoys in life. Little does she know the danger awaits her in a world she doesn't know exists. After being rescued from her attackers by a man, Luca, who she finds mysterious and intriguing, she is led down a path that reveals the secrets of her biological parents' past and the connection this man has with her family. Okay, let me tell you about Christina. After raising six children, congratulations, well done, quite a feat, I went back to college and got an AA degree at Golden West College. What's AA? Revealing my ignorance. Can somebody tell me, please? All I can think of was Alcoholics Anonymous, but I'm sure it's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> please tell me. Uh, 
I recently won an essay contest that will be published in Coastlines magazine Storytime. In the fall, I'll be attending the University of Irving, where I plan to get a bachelor's degree in psychological science. I've been working at an elementary school with special needs children for the past 13 years. I have always loved to read books and I love creative writing in all its forms. That's terrific. Creative writing, you need a creative reading. Call for Martin. The first page. Realm of Darkness, Truth Unveiled by Christina. Read by Martin. Chapter One. Sweat beads over my brow while I fidget with my fingers, trying to calm my nerves. I've anticipated this moment all year. Now that it's here, now that this era of my life is coming to an end, I don't have a clue what to do next. I should have some idea. Surely everyone around me has an idea what path they want to take. My path isn't so clear. A cloud hangs over my head and follows wherever I go. My close friend, Bianca, sits beside me, calm as ever. There's even an air of confidence about her, the same confidence I used to carry with me. Nowadays, I'm a wreck. Hey, you okay? Bianca's hand encloses mine. I'm, I'm fine. I just wish they'd get started, I say. If you need to get some fresh air, I'll go outside with you. I guess she didn't believe me when I said that I was fine. I know how nervous you get in big crowds, how you... Bia, I'm good. If you say so. She gives my hand a squeeze before returning it back to her lap. I glance over my shoulder and spot mom and dad sitting am among the other families, faces painted with giddy smiles bursting with excitement. It's graduation day and they are glowing with pride. It's always been a dream of ours that I earn my international baccalaureate diploma so that I could study abroad. I did just that, but it hasn't come without a price. I worked hard for it. I wanted to make my life a little easier after graduated. graduating. I wanted options so I wouldn't have to depend on my parents. It was not that long ago that graduating represented hope and freedom. Now that I've earned it, I feel stifled. I feel emotionally impaired for reasons I cannot bear to think about right now. The thought of leaving my home scares the crap out of me. The ceremony begins. A knot forms in the pit of my stomach as I listen to the inspirational messages for the future and take a sentimental journey to the past. It doesn't take long before the knot finds its way to my heart. Grief. Grief that grips my chest so tight I cannot breathe. I focus on my inner voice. A mantra of happy moments of the past, a soothing, calming sound. Usually this helps, but this time I find it impossible to escape the sorrow. It's curious how two people that I have never met have such a profound effect on my life. I am constantly wondering what life might have been like if tragedy had never struck. Mother's death and father's disappearance continues to haunt me. It will, I'm sure, till my dying day. And it is at times like this, something that only comes around once in a lifetime, that I long to have them near. I focus on the two people that didn't hesitate to adopt me when I became orphaned at two weeks old. Warmth washes over me. Mom and Dad rescued me from a life that could have left me an orphan. They provided me with a stable home and an abundance of love. 
it should fill any emptiness in my heart, yet the pain burns deep. I hear the name Morena Furentas over the loudspeaker. I stand up, forgetting my worries and focusing on getting to the front without tripping or falling. A sense of pride surprises me and I fight the tears welling up in my eyes. I pause for a moment and smile as the photographer snaps a picture and then I head back down to my seat. I'm relieved it's over. Mom and Dad find me and Bianca after the ceremony and congratulate us with bouquets of yellow daffodils. Mom says they symbolise new beginnings and future prosperity. Dad captures future memories on his 35mm cannon as our friends wander over to offer congratulations. After posing for what seems like dozens of pictures, Bianca reminds me that we should be leaving for the airport. My heart drops. So, Christina, uh, this is what ye, uh, ye oldie chat room is saying right now. So read, learn, inwardly digest. And we're lucky enough to have Sarah along tonight because this is bang smack in the middle of your territory here, YA. So is this yeah. working? Is it not working? And if so, why? Um, I feel like what we have here is what I call ramping up. I feel like she's ramping up to tell me the story. Um, and she's, the graduation, I, I, she's telling me there's grief. She's telling me she's tearful. She's telling me she's nervous. Um, but I don't, I'm not feeling that right now. She no. hasn't, she hasn't grabbed me, uh, and, and made me feel like I'm experiencing that moment. And that's really what, as readers, what we want. We don't want to be told what's happening. We want to experience it alongside that, that narrator. And I'm just not there yet. There's a lot of lovely mysteries that I'm excited about the, the missing, the, what happened to the parents, um, her hopes for the future that she doesn't know exactly know what she, she wants. Um, and I also think it's hard when you think about a journey of a character, a lot of times we go from passive to active and it's hard for me to get behind a passive character. So she doesn't know what she wants. She's not sure what's happening. And I want a little more spark that I go, yeah, that's, you know, that's the person I want to follow. Yeah, so she's kind of writing herself into it, which a lot of writers do, but readers that, don't read themselves into it. It's not it, really, unusual that we cut the first three, four chapters of a, of a manuscript, is it? That, you know, they ramp up, they need Absolutely. to know this stuff, they need to know what's happening, and then we go, yeah. Yeah, what happens yeah. next is where we're going to take off. Yeah, Katie in the YouTube chat made the point that there is a voice here. There is a voice. Um, I don't. I don't feel a lot of passion coming through. Um, nee, what um, first reactions, please? Um, so yeah, I think you can clearly tell it's somebody who reads a lot, but hasn't written before because it's got that. Um, what should I say, that tick of a first-time mm. writer trying to put the whole story in, in the first page. You know, putting all the backstory in to say, you know what, I've really thought about this story. Yeah. And forgetting yeah. that it, it's a novel. You've got loads of time. You can tell us about adoption later on. You don't need to tell us. Um, there's too much preamble. Um, I actually think if, if we're only going on the pages that we have, mm -hmm. we started this at, I hear the name... Morena Fuentes. That's where the story. That, that's where this submission yes. would start for me. Yes, that's because the strongest it sentence. Tells you yeah. She's, yeah, it tells you she's getting up to go and stand on the stage. You can actually do some of the backstory when she's in that action, um, rather than all of this stuff of oh, I guess she didn't believe me when I said it. 
you know, all of that stuff is obvious yeah. um, and, and actually not necessary. It doesn't really tell us anything. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll give, you know, I mean, I'll give her credit for her effort and the fact that she's thought this through. You Clearly, there's, you know, she's thought the story through, but she's trying to throw it all at us at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. At, at the point where we don't know the character, so we're not interested. Yeah. You're going for it too, aren't you? To, uh, <laughs> I'll go for a three here. Let me be oh, kind. Yes. Hi, I edged him up. Did you see how I did that? I pushed him off a little bit. Sarah, titles, uh, long title, colon in there. Any thoughts? Oh yeah, that should go back to two. Sure I will change that. Oh you? Go oh no, no. <laughs> no oh. I'll change it later. I'll change it later. You change it later. I yes. About oh. the title. No, oh. that title that, that stabbed oh. me to the heart when you said that. <laughs> oh me. <laughs> Oh God! It's only because I said title. Uh, these uh, long titles like that are they going to work? I, I, I had forgotten about it. The preamble made me forget the title. <laughs> um, yeah, and titles are important yeah, as far as publishers are concerned. It is. Yeah, absolutely important. I feel like it's. It feels like too many other titles that I've heard. If that mm. makes sense, it doesn't really mm. stand out yet. It's not, you're not going to remember but I think tomorrow. Sometimes, no. And Realm of Darkness is it, it makes me think that there's this is a trilogy or a series, and that Truth Unveiled is the first book, and there's another book, and there's another book. But Realm yeah. of Darkness feels pretty generic to me. So, yeah. but I think her blurb, you know, that what she was what she was trying to, you know, what was coming sounded exciting. This ability or curse, and and uh, Luca, who was going to be maybe a love interest, and or saved her, but we maybe he wasn't as the hero that he is pretending to be so i think the blurb made me really hopeful yeah yeah all right so all this means you're going to go for a what i'm gonna give three you're gonna go three mm -hmm. fair enough so i'm, I'm... Turn on my light <laughs> all right uh oh, physically not not intellectually um so i'm gonna say christina that i just need to feel more passion coming oh, through here especially for ya younger reader there's got to be a burning reason for you narrator to tell the story i don't want to feel that passion that's got to come through. now this is a story i've got to tell you and i've got to tell it to you now and it, you know there, there is the, you know that passion and it's just just let it come through let it come through on the page if you did that then i think other objections would kind of fall away um but as it is i'm going to go for two i'm going to go for two i'm going to be the misery guts this time uh should we see uh, what the scoreboard looks like yeah and you're absolutely right uh, dear scoreboard person <laughs> you I, I was going to give it to i didn't I didn't actually say that but i did give it to you for uh for cole so it's a tight uh, bunching there. Uh, 40%, 50%, 55%. Rise of Razzmatazz is just in the lead there, but we've got two more submissions. Before then, I think we should speak to Sarah. Sarah, always busy writing, editing, commissioning. What else do you do in your, in your, in your wonderful, enchanted life? And, you, and your, your garret behind there, it looks like some books of spells. And you've got, you've got what have you got there? A little microwave behind you so you don't need to go out for any food. You just stay there writing all day long. Yeah, and what is that? It's the uh, microwave, is it? No, it's um, my husband huh? and I share an office. And I have the windows ahead of me, so I get a view. And he gets a view of me. So I think oh, it's the window. 
That's so romantic. I, I don't know how you get any work done, really. We do. It really works well. I mean, a lot of people say that, but, you know, we we encourage each other. And, oh. and if he's working, I think, well, I, I probably should be working too. So That's uh, lovely. It works out. Yeah. That yeah. is so lovely. Um, so, so right now I'm teaching at Goldsmiths in their master's class on creative writing. So, yeah. Um, Yes, which I love. Uh, Goldsmith is wonderful. And I don't know, there's, there, you know, every time I, and I just teach one term, I teach one one module, and I always learn so much. Because I think yeah, you in, do. In, in critiquing other people's work, it's amazing how totally. I'll say something to a student totally. and then I'll go back and look at my yeah. writing and go, oh, I couldn't agree more. The, you know. I couldn't thing. agree more. I have to. I have to sell this this gospel to so many aspiring writers, um, you know, because we have critiquing going on inside Latoya all the time. And the tendency is people just want to go and they want their own work critiqued, they're in and out and go away. You're going to learn more, guys, if you critique yeah. other people's work. You really will. You'll see what's working, what's not, what the common mistakes are. It's it's kind of that's how you learn, really. What you got coming up? What's uh, what's on the publishing front here? Um, well, I am working on an adult crime novel, so we'll Ooh, see. Uh, I've finished exciting. a draft in lockdown, and I'm on revision number... Um, lots of lots of revisions, but um, I'm enjoying it, and uh, we'll see what happens. Something well, new for me. How close are you? How far, how far through? I, I finished a draft. Oh, you've done it? And, um, yeah, and I've gotten some comments from my agent, so hopefully what? we'll... What? What did the what agents happened? say? What do they say? Did they like it? <laughs> I have a great agent, and she and I have been together for forever. And, you know, I just long for the day that I send her something, and she goes, don't change a comma. This is, and she never, she's, she never she's does that. They don't and, do that. And she's, agents and she's don't very do that. good. You know, she's very good, because she will unpick something, and she will say yeah. something to me, and then show me. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, I think when you're looking for an agent, you want to find someone who is smart, who yeah. gets what you're trying to do, and listen to them. You know, listen to them. Psychological support, therapy. My first, my first, my first uh, response when anybody creates my work is like, oh, no, you don't understand me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, you didn't get it. And That's then right. you let it set for 48 yeah. hours, and you go, yeah. oh, yeah, you're Curse right. you? You oh. were right. Oh. Damn your she's eyes. Right. She's right. She's in a, she does it almost every manuscript. She comes up yeah. with something, and I say, oh, that's no. Don't yeah. tell her I said that. So if, mm. but, no, but I would. It's just our little secret, I, just you and me. Thank you. It's just our secret. Don't tell yeah. her. Um, but, you know, I think that's. I think a lot of that, when you, you get feedback on your work, um, yeah. I only allow my it, when anybody, if it's an agent, an editor, anyone, I allow myself to send an email that says the following. Thank you so much for your thorough review of my work. I'm going to take it in, and I'm going to get back to you. That's the right because way to take it. That's so right. The number You're of times that when right. I was an editor, someone had said they responded yeah. instinctively, immediately, yeah. and it's not yeah. the right response. And also, yeah. sit with it, and you're going to find yeah. that, you know, even if you don't agree with exactly what they've said, yeah. there's something not working. Figure out what yeah. that is. And oh, my God. You've opened a can of worms here, actually. We could talk about this forever, <sighs> about, about how, how writers react criticism is so difficult because it's you know you're in there you're writing it's so subjective someone criticizes your writing it's, it's like it's the most deepest personal criticism ever mm. it hurts it goes in it's so difficult but you, but know, if you somehow, want to be published yeah. you have to be used to that because you know if you, you get do. editors agents are going to give you feedback if you're lucky enough to find an editor they're going to give you feedback and yeah. then you get that beautiful thing of the internet and reviews where people do huh. not hold back <laughs> <laughs> so 
So I you, scoff. you know, you need to figure out. And, and, and I, I mean, I think it, it's a collaboration if you want to be published. And and I think that's an amazing thing that I am so thankful when someone wants to invest with me in my yeah, story. Definitely. And make it better. And yeah. as long as I listen. As long as, as, long, as, hey, as long as they say nice things, that's great. That's brilliant. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. Great advice, as always. Let's see what, let's see what another punter. Oh, look, it's Nell. Nell says, hi, thank you for having my pitch on your show. We just moved. We just moved. So I was slammed with that and didn't have time to see it. Thank you very much, Nell, for not watching. Um, I found it harsh, but helpful. You know what? We were just saying that just a few moments ago. With Sarah, yeah. I appreciate objective opinions. Very helpful for future queries. That's brilliant. Let's have a look at our fourth submission of the day, and then we're going to come back and have more words with, with Nina. This is from Nina. Nina Garcia. It's, it's YA. It's contemporary. It's so good that we've got, you know, two writers on, actually, because we haven't even discussed this about Nina. We're going to have to have him back many times. But he's, he's written children's books, too. Um, but it's so cool. You know, we've had, got these YA submissions on today, and we've got Sarah and we've got Nina. Now or Never. That's the title. And this is Nina's blurb. What do you do when you're a teen just trying to live? Lucia and her family have endured illness after illness and heartbreak. And when she's finally close to recovery, Lucia enrolls into high school. Lucia makes a close group of friends with whom she writes a now-or-never list full of difficult and or fun tasks. It's a bucket list, isn't it? With those friends and family, she faces ups and downs, finding romance through her journey. Lucia finds her heart on the line, literally and figuratively. Let me tell you about Nina. I'm a young female Hispanic writer. I'm currently about to start my senior year of high school. You are young, and that's great. We don't get uh, submissions from people who are very young very often, so I'm, I'm delighted that you, you plucked up your courage. Um, I've loved to write since I was little and have many stories to tell. I love writing fantasy and dystopian books, however, I had my own story to tell this time. My current book is a spin on the story of my life that has been filled with illness and family hardship. I'm still chronically ill, but have never let that stop me. I wrote this story to bring hope to people. Message received and understood and appreciated. We would like Ali to do her best. The first page. Now or Never by Nina. Read by Alison. Okay, I can do this. I'm a strong, capable entity. I'm powerful. I can attract friends. I can. No, I will have a successful high school career. Mamie sends me an assuring smile from the front passenger seat as my dad starts the car and she buckles her seatbelt. Good, now say your health mantra. I groan and my mom's lips morph to form a tight line. She stares at me as I dramatically hang my head. She shakes her head and plays with a silver bracelet I gave her for Mother's Day last year. Come on, your psychologist said that mantras could do you wonders. Don't you want to stay healthy so you can achieve your dreams one day? You know, go to med school and become a paediatric cardiologist? She wiggles her shoulders. Retire happily and start a little bakery? You're getting closer to it. You're a junior now. My mouth twists to one side. I've had a life plan that I've incessantly told my parents about for years and years, probably since sixth grade. My whole illness threw that off, but the answer is yes, 
I would do anything to achieve that. It's just... Well, I want to believe the mantras help, but I was sick for four years. Four years of constant mantras. And then suddenly, I got better. I got better during the time that I was doing nothing to help myself. I'd all but given up. I feel like maybe my healing is more of a miracle than an effect from the acupuncture, mantras, reiki and so on. But I know that I have to keep following my mum's instructions because part of me was always be hopeful. Yeah, I sigh. I am the vision of health. Sickness cannot reach me. I am pure health. Pain cannot reach me. A car stops in front of the house next to ours. Wait, there's the new neighbours. My dad shifts in his seat. Yeah, they're the Nolans. I met them while you and your mother were at the Mayo Clinic. Huh, I mumble. Two boys, probably around my age, and a middle-aged man, jumps out of the car and carries a few boxes inside the house. One of the boys has jet-black hair and blue eyes. He smirks in a way that says he's pleased with himself, as he holds a box in one hand and a backpack in the other. He carries a camera in his backpack. I stare at the back of his head, trying to get a read on him, when, accidentally, he turns and our eyes lock. His smirk grows. My cheeks are suddenly set aflame and I lean back on the seat, facing the front of the car. After a few seconds have passed, and we're far away enough for him not to be able to see me, I sneak another glance at him. He's staring at my car drive away. He wears tight jeans with a white and black band t-shirt, light brown sneakers and a dark green bomber jacket. Eventually his gaze turns elsewhere, but I can't help but keep staring. It's like he's inspecting every bit of this neighbourhood, and I want to know what he's seeing. The guy with the black hair takes a picture of the other boy. He has bright blue hair and the exact same almond-shaped eyes. The blue-haired boy jumps with energy as he walks. I'm guessing they're siblings. They both carry backpacks in an arm, and once they've both set down the boxes, they jump back in the car to get to school as they speak. I try to observe them for just a bit longer, but they're too far to hear. Curiosity seems to creep into my head. I immediately want to know who they are, what they're like. Maybe to distract myself from the nerves of going to school for the first time, if I'm being completely honest with myself. I sit back and start twiddling my fingers nervously. Let's go straight to the first reactions, please. Um, do you know what? I love it when an author gets the voice right. Because even if the book is not great, I know I can work with them. It's like that Dragon's Den thing where they say your idea is crap, but will support you do you have another idea um but in this case both are good the idea is good the writing is good the voice is spot on and i think that the author of call whose name i've forgotten suddenly um nina nina no no not this oh, one. So, oh, sorry sorry, sorry 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 earlier, oh, okay yeah yeah, yeah 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 sorry paul that's um, paul yeah we can learn a lot about what somebody with a particular point of view can know with something as simple as when she says the blue-haired boy jumps with energy so she can't know his name so she doesn't use his name you know at that point in the book and that always shows that you are with the character you're moving with it you get a sense of the family's energy and everything just in that short within within the first six lines i i want to i want to go with it so i will definitely be turning the page i think she could get an agent tomorrow fantastic that's great, great, but, mm. but, what do you say, Sarah? 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. It was, um, there were so many things that I went, like the, the now or never list in from the blurb. I thought, mm, I'm interested in that. Um, and I think there, the, the mantras that, you know, her mom is making her say, I just found that very authentic. Um, yeah. And then the, the, the moment when she sees that boy and that, that teen connection, that spark, that, you know, watching his every move, I believed it. I believed it and thought, yes, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Good. Well, I mean, you can't get much better than that. Give us a number. I'm going to give it a four. That's all right. That's the best you've done uh, today. Nee. Well, you know, I think every book needs a bit of work, so I'll give it a 4.2. I mean, if I could give 4.5, it would. Okay. All right. All right. Fine. Understood. Um, I'm going to... Um, um, I'm not going to go for a 1. Uh, I'm not going to go for a 2. <laughs> 3. No, probably not. 4. No. Five. Wow. <laughs> and the reason is exactly what Nee said. There's a really good voice here. There's a really good voice here. So young, such a great voice. I, I completely agree. I think you've got a great future there. Um, let's see, have a look at the um, the numbers, and then we want to come back and find out about Nee's company. So, oh, God, look at that chat room gave a five as well so i'm not on my own two fours from the panelists two fives from the agent pete that's me and the chat room 90 percent nina i hope you're happy i hope you're happy um we have one more submission uh that's from you angie you're you're with us live today and thank you so much for your great comments uh live from youtube i don't know if you're going to make 90 percent or more but i do know we're going to speak to knee <laughs> she doesn't want to follow that look there she is she's saying she doesn't want to follow it oh that's, that's dreadful that's how it goes sometimes sorry luck of the draw luck of the draw. yeah exactly exactly now then we're going to talk about um flip tie um i was the first question was going to be why flip tie but you have answered that actually um, yes i have <laughs> yeah you have all right let's have a look at uh let's let's look at this this website of yours right it's mm -hmm. very interesting it indicates i'm going to i'm going to read uh, one of the uh, many uh, the fascinating things that, that said on the website because it kind of seems to sum it up here flipped eye publishing is a lean reader focused writer loving boat rocking support system for culture that matters what a great statement of intent and belief actually for a publisher how did this all happen and you know take us back two decades how and why Ah, so I left the corporate world. Writing was my little hobby. Um, and I decided, <laughs> my little hobby, <laughs> and I decided to, to give writing a go. I got an agent. I was in Ghana at the time. I got an agent, came to England. Um, I'm a dual national, so it wasn't too difficult to, to, to make the shift. Came in and started going to open mic poetry events and very often when i went to a reading the writers whose work i liked wouldn't have a book and the writers whose work i was iffy about had books so i thought okay. there's some disconnect 
with my taste and the world's taste. So, hey, why, why, why not start publishing? I started with the magazine, but it was too much work for too little reward. <laughs> and, um, and then I, I got into, into publishing one book and then two books. And then I looked back after about five years and I thought, oh, my God, I'm a publisher. Yes. So yes. It, can, it can happen it like that. It's, it's, all, it's over, yeah. overnight. It just happens. It's by, by mistake, by accident, yeah. really. It's how many people so, got into publishing, actually. I mean, it's yeah. how I, I became so that's an where agent, the writer really. focus comes in, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's where the writer focus comes in because yeah. it's always been about how do I serve this writer best? And also, because I don't come from an editing background, I approach the work with a lot of humility. So, you know, I, I kind of ask people what you're trying to achieve and that kind of thing. I don't say you need to sound like X who yeah. published in 1825, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So um, another quote here. Um, our writers, uh, you say, website, our writers are... Uh, Latinx, queer, white, school dropouts, intersex, degree holders, black, gay, old, young, Asian, straight, and they all feel heard and at home with Flip Tide Publishing, expressing themselves with freedom, creating affirming and challenging work, which is what publishing should have been doing for a long time, but has only just woken up to the fact that it should have been doing. Um, so how do you actually differ, though? Because it sounds to me like this is a description of a general publishing company. How do you differ, say, from the, the giants of the business, like, say, Penguin Random House? Well, because we actually do that work. We don't look at... <laughs> I mean, the, the giants of, of the industry say the right things. I mean, if they were doing what they say they should be doing, then it shouldn't take something like George Floyd's murder for them mm. to suddenly start publishing more black writers, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you have the capability to do it, why should it take a tragedy for you to actually start doing it? Mm. Um, mm. And mm. what, you know, so it's, it's always that. There always seems to have to be a trend or a campaign yeah. for them to suddenly make a statement and start doing something which they claim that they should be yeah. doing already. And that is the problem. And mm. I think that what we do is we actually do the work. We look at the work, it's good, and we will do what it takes to sell it which is what publishing should be. And quite frankly, yes. yes, I have been inspired by some of the founders of what are now giant publishing houses because they, they had those ideals and they live by them. Um, I hope that it doesn't happen to us, but it seems like a lot of publishing companies become corporate and kind of lose that focus. They do. They do. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a, there's always this this strange tension going on because you know publishing, if it's any if it's going to be interesting at all and relevant and you know part of culture, it has to be a bit dangerous. It has to take risks. Yeah. Um, but the corporate element says don't take any risks. Just just exactly. do what you did last year, but five percent more, please. That's what we want. Yeah. So you've been living dangerously for two decades. Yes, indeed. And, if, and just is, about surviving. Well, th that's all right, actually. Just about yeah. surviving <laughs> publishing for two decades is a major success, actually. Um, how are you finding things now, though? Because this surely has to be the most strange time that we've lived through in publishing. It is. Um, you know, there are lots of positives. One of the things that I used to feel pressure about, so talking about responses to writers, when we started out, when people sent submissions, I would send the most thoughtful, you know, responses and, you know, this is what you could do to improve your work. But the so thing you, is, you, you realize night, after a while, you? up all night, yeah, you yeah. realize after a while <laughs> that if you do that, you can't actually serve the people, you can't serve enough people. So yeah. you actually become very efficient. Yeah. And, and so, you know, um, 
so that one of the frustrations is with our size, we can only publish so many people and there's so yeah. many talented people who are putting out work. Yeah. So one of the good things about this and the issues that have come about around the time of lockdown, whether it's to do with, you know, um, Black Lives Matter in, 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 in the US or to do with LGBTQIA rights and the fact that big publishers are coming in mm. to publish people from those communities mm. is a positive because it means that I don't feel the pressure as much because at some right. point at small publishers you yeah. can feel like we need to do more but you don't have the capacity yes, yes. so that's, that's very, been great that's, oh, that's very positive and quite I think quite a healthy way to to see it because otherwise you're just going to constantly be feeling that your ideas and initiatives are being stolen by by bigger people because I mean you were doing a long time before anybody else did um, a series of poetry pamphlets um, other yes. people do those yes. now, but but you you were pioneering the field. So when some when yes. you know when someone else does come along, and sort of say, oh, that's, "That's a nice idea, Nee. I think we'll do that." You don't you don't necessarily feel ripped off. You think, "Well, you know, it's a tribute to us because we were doing that a long time before you were." Yeah, and I have yeah. no doubt that we'll, we'll we'll do new things again, just in yeah. the same way that we don't want to publish the same kind of you know the same book over again. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to rehash ideas if yeah. let let things happen let them go out in the world let them change culture yeah. let them influence people let people be moved by what we're doing and if other people want to take it on that's great yeah yeah you've well you've had a change you, you've you've permanently changed things um how many titles a year um we're well we were on the seven titles a year we've expanded our editorial so we're probably moving up to 12 to 15. Okay, and for all those Actually, aspiring, yeah, to be honest, this year we're probably doing twenty. Well, that's all right. That's all right. We like to hear that. Yeah, yeah. the more the better. Um, for those aspiring writers uh, watching now, um, what's going to tickle your fancy particularly? Do you think what? I mean, it's very difficult to. I mean, is, is it yeah, just I the mean, writing you fall in love with, or are there any particular writers you want to encourage, or any particular topics? Not really. I mean, we fall in love with the writing, just like the feedback I gave for Nina's, you know, if, if, I, if we love the writing, I mean, yeah. the writers that we've published that I work, I mean, there's um, Leela Segal who did Breathe, a um, collection of short stories from Cuba. I worked with her for something like seven years okay. um, because I read the stuff and I just loved it. And you could tell it was transitioning from diary entries into... Um, yeah you know short stories and we she just had to find the voice and we did that yeah. samata elmi whose poetry pamphlet just came out i've been in dialogue with him for eight years hmm. so for me if the voice is right and we feel the person has something to say we will stick with them we've got fantastic. we've got that patience fantastic that's the way you know what that's the way publishing used to work actually yeah um but it doesn't anymore now it's become more fractured and corporatized i'm afraid um as far as I'm concerned, the ideal publisher is medium size. Actually, you know, yeah, it can, it can, it can, it can, yeah, and hopefully, you will become a medium sized publisher in the next decade or two, um, able to plonk down six figures advances. I love, <laughs> I love six figure advances. This is what the agents love. Yeah, yes. <laughs> go on, don't, don't, don't make me sad. It's been such a great show so far. Six figure advances, fabulous writers. What's not to like, really? Uh, we got one more submission. One more today is from Angela. She's watching us live. She's got her nails right down to the bone now. So I think the least we should do is see what she's up to. Thank you, Angie. Nice of you to say that especially in advance of your submission. This is the next one. Let me just uh, just move things on a little bit there. There we go. 
It's from Angela. I think we can call you Angie now. I think we know each other quite well. Angie. Believe. It's called Believe. Like that. MG, fantasy. This is Angie's blurb. Believe is set in a world divided between believers and never believers. Abigail Johnson finds herself magically catapulted into the world of the Believer Fae, where a bid to find out her true identity ensues. Can anyone recuse? What? Recuse, Abigail? Recuse, Abigail? I think you mean rescue. You've been victim of a Microsoft um, dictionary attack, haven't you? Can anyone rescue? Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, Angie, I'm sorry to put you through it, my dear. I'm so sorry. Can anyone rescue, I've corrected you a little there, Abigail from those who wish to destroy her? Believe encapsulates the coming of age, friendships, family, and the tinkering of the possibility of first loves. A magical train, crazy professor, magical friends, and a wicked queen all await you. Let me tell everyone about Angie. She's very, very active on YouTube. <laughs> Uh, I'm a 40-something mother of three. You don't need to disclose your age. Ev everyone does for some reason. You don't need to put that down. I, I don't need to know. But anyway, that's what you are, a 40-something mother of three. Over the last seven years, whilst raising my family, I obtained a first-class honours degree with the Open U University. Fabulous. Well done. This was aimed to help me return to full-time work and begin a career. Now my youngest was in full-time school. Then... Lockdown happened, and my job prospects took a nosedive. Oh, yeah, you and millions of others. So I thought I'd make lockdown work for me and put my passion for writing to the test. Hence the creation of my first self-published book, The Secret Diary of a Lockdown Mom, uh, of which all the royalties are being donated to the NHS. I'm currently writing its sequel and organising the start of the second book in the Believe series. How busy you are. Um, all right, so we want to deliver an absolutely reading for you so we're going to ask Kate the first page. Believe by Angela read by Kate Wow mummy look a believer the little girl said with an outstretched chubby little finger shh my darling it's rude to point the mother grabbed her outstretched arm and pulled her close as she tried to hold on to the little girl and push a buggy as they boarded the train Maddie can you please help me the mother said to an older child, a little short-tempered with a clip to the edge of her voice. The older child was wearing a grey hoodie, pulled up over their head, hiding their face and was standing slightly away from mother. She's so beautiful, the little girl's words having an exaggerated childish sound, but utterly full of wonder and excitement. I want to be like her when we get there, mummy. Can I be like her, mummy, please? The little girl was jumping up and down as the mother tried to step onto the train with the buggy without waking the sleeping child within. The mother took the little girl's chubby hand and folded it around the arm of the buggy while she pulled on what looked like an unusual amount of grey baggage for a train trip. Hearing the little girl's voice, it captured the interest of the beautiful woman in blue. Noticing the mother's struggle and lack of support from what she assumed must be a teenager and of others in grey boarding the train. The woman in blue got up immediately to help. The sea of grey then seemed to part for her, not wanting to make contact to wanting to touch her. Here, let me help. The woman in blue elegantly swooped up the bottom of the buggy. Her voice sounded like pure silk, smooth and kind. The little girl's eyes widened. Never had she seen such colour, 
such kindness. No, no, you'll mark your lovely suit, the mother said nervously, hesitant, unsure of what to do. Aware of the disapproving muttering and eyes watching the interaction around the carriage. We do not worry about such things, the voice said, smiling and jovial, clasping one of the woman's bags in her other gloved hand. The woman in blue then looked into the mother's scared, pale face. Meeting her grey eyes, the woman in blue said in earnest, Please, she paused, smiling at the mother, let me help. A smile where the corners of her lips met the sides of her sparkling hazel-green eyes. Wow, the little girl repeated in utter admiration. Shut up, Hannah, the older child spat, nudging the little girl. No, you shut up, Maddie Bum, the little girl retorted, obviously not bothered in the slightest by the hidden teen. Girls, please, the mother was almost pleading, looking battered, beaten and grey. Please, sit with me, the woman in blue offered as she retook her seat. The mother looked around the busy train, full of grey suits and steely, prying eyes, judging her every move. The woman in blue was seated at the window of six seats, three seats opposite each other. Her appearance looking conspicuous against the stark greyness of dull seats and metallic silver walling of the train. These, however, were the only free seats on the busy train. The mother fought through the grey suits with the children and the buggy as pathway closed behind the woman in blue, the greys trying to protectively barricade the family away. Excuse me, pardon me, the mother said, trying to muster the last of her strength. The blank and hard faces stood fast, unwilling to move. These were the faces of the people that would rather stand and expected the mother to stand than to take those empty seats next to her. The woman could sense the mother was fearful of the grey eyes watching and listening. Please, mummy, can we please? The little girl begged, taking a seat opposite the woman in blue and shuffling to make herself comfortable, giving the mother now little to no choice in the decision. Not taking any notice of what was going on around her, the hooded older child plonked herself down in the middle seat, keeping her head down and hands firmly tucked into the double pocket in the front of her dull grey hoodie, folded in on herself. Straight to our MG expert, Sarah. Um, if it's middle grade, we need a you know nine to thirteen year old to be the the focus of the story, and the right now the mother is the focus of the story. Mm. Um, and so I'm not I'm not sure. I, I think I absolutely believed in the train journey. I absolutely believed in the mother and and her interaction with the kids. Uh, the kids' voices, you know, certainly felt authentic, but. This doesn't feel like the start of a middle grade story to me. We need okay. we need to see yeah. the character, um, and we need to see Abigail because Abigail yeah. hasn't shown up on this first page. And if it's Abigail's story, we need to see. It. And I also needed a little bit more uh, about that this was going to be a magical or fantastical journey. I didn't. It felt contemporary almost, and I didn't. I, there was a, yeah. a few times like with Woman in Blue where I saw a wink to something magical, um, but I. I didn't feel that enough and yeah. it, right now it feels like it's the mother's story and there's too many yeah. too many the blue the blue, woman in blue the the hooded child the, the younger child I need some names I need one character that I'm gonna that I'm gonna follow yeah. but there's some there were some 
like there's some authentic moments in there so i think there's not um, a lot of sitting and standing going on isn't there so we're sitting here yeah. there's people sitting on standing i'm not 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 standing up i'm just thinking that's not really the important stuff to to be focusing on mind on at the beginning of your mm. storytelling escapade so let's get a number from you sarah um i'm gonna i'm gonna have to give it a two because i because it's middle grade and and we haven't seen our main character yet and we haven't felt the narrative pull quite yet yeah yeah all right maybe starting in the wrong place um just before we go to neil let's just ha actually as it scroll off yeah it's always really interesting when we have the narrator so kate there was our narrator on that i like we're putting it's it's great when you get a reaction from the narrator i, I like we're putting in the middle of the situation given a sense of the extreme prejudice going on through the innocence of the child just as the mother use of dialogue uh she's talking about a point of view change which is exactly what sarah said we need to look through the eyes of the character just what sarah said knee um you know it's one of these where there's lots of good things but they've they haven't come together well and i think that one of the main things for me which is why i can't connect and probably you know is that it seems like it's omniscient mm. and then it's coming in as closed third a yeah. number of times with different characters and I think that if you're going to construct a story like that, you really need to imagine the story like from that point of view. Yeah. If you really want to keep on omniscient, think of, yes, you've got the story in your head, but think about it from that camera and say, if this camera was telling this story, what's yeah. the most interesting thing to see? Yeah. And yeah. that's where you start from. You don't yeah. tell the story omniscient without thinking about what it means to be that distant, because yeah. you have to know what it's like to be that distant and still yeah. feel connected because what it is is you're telling the story you've given us distance but you don't know just how disconnected we feel with, from that distance because you haven't experienced it yourself because you're with the characters yeah so i think that's... if you're going to make that choice you really need to think it through yeah that's very good advice can't disagree so you're going for a two <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well actually yes all right <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was trying to push him up using reverse psychological advanced psychology <laughs> here. He didn't work this time. I don't think it worked last time. Well, we have Sorry. the review at the end because we, oh, you, we I do have to look back oh, yes. at stuff. Yeah. Yes, we do. We do absolutely. Yes, Angie. Maybe uh, two things really from me. Maybe um, needs a th good third-party edit, and maybe you're not quite starting in the right place. Um, but um, knees always spot on. You've got a fan there, me, vagabond heart. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, always spot on. I wish I was. Uh, very visual, says Katie. Children's Handmaid's Tale. Writer paints the scene. Does it convincingly? It reads an, as an early draft. I couldn't agree more. Needs a further strong edit. Repetition. Point of view needs work, which is just what Nia was saying. Who do I follow? Yes, that's a metaphorical question. Thank you. So I'm going to go for a two as well. On the basis of what we're seeing at the moment, which means we are an eight thank you angie thank you very much it's very nice of you not to um nice of you to take it like that not not nice of you not to subject us to to a denial of service attack i always like it when people <laughs> don't do that <laughs> oh, oh, yes. oh god uh right now then here we go moment of truth time isn't it really and i know he's looking forward to this 
so you can see that Now or Never by Nina is way out ahead there and everyone's bunching really quite tightly behind there but um, everyone felt good about Nina's submission I want to ask make your pop-up submission subs.latopia.com thank you submission person appreciate that I didn't know you were going to do that but thank you um I think Lee's been looking forward to this moment right right from the very beginnings I told him, I told him he had a chance to change a vote alright yeah, Lee mate if we can see what you've done what do you want to change well because you don't allow points it's very difficult it's very I difficult think, yeah yeah um, I, I think I can't I can't really change it based on this because one point is a big difference and sometimes there are subtle differences in the quality but it's not enough to push a whole point up alright alright fair enough so you, you're not going to uh, you're not going to change you're going to stick you're no. not twisting got it okay I'm understood sticking. understood and Sarah your yeah, decision I'm, I'm staying I'm you're, staying you're staying as well my original thoughts yeah right. I am totally understand that and um, completely understandable um, don't forget to vote on today's show yeah so next six and a half days it's when you get to exercise your 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 vote. So go to latopia.com slash vote. Thank you very much, Nee. Thank you very much, Sarah. You've been fantastic guests today. See you next week. Oh,